Now, the passage we just heard Peggy read, I don't think Moses had any idea what kind of echo his message would have throughout the generations and generations of Christians who would follow him. Because, you know, when Moses refers to you and your children and your children's children, do do you wonder if he really sat there and went, I think that's really going to happen. Or, or, you know, he, he said, you know, God gave me this word, I delivered it, but man, generation, and then your children, and then your children's children, that's like a long way off. And when you think about how Moses kind of said these words that changed the course of generations that followed, we can see how that has, how that plays out even here locally. Um, one of the things I like to do in, you know, if I move somewhere is to learn the history of a city. And one of the cool things about North Augusta was learning kind of the vision for how our city was developed. Um, there's James Jackson who in 1902 had the vision to develop North Augusta. And not just develop North Augusta, but have the 13th Street Georgia Avenue bridge built. Just imagine how your week would be different if there's no bridge here. I would sweat a little bit more when we were going to the hospital to have a baby, right? It's different, right? And then, then, you know, many of us cross that bridge weekly without realizing this didn't just happen. And then, you know, just even looking even more specifically at Grace and even at our campus, y'all, our facilities that we have here to gather in and to prepare and to launch into ministry from, we have incredible facilities and resources here. And, and I mean, let's look at our facilities from the kingdom of God perspective, okay? Our facilities give us the opportunity to worship every week, three services, three styles, We have the opportunity in our Wesley Center to pack thousands of meals for Stop Hunger now. We have the opportunity here to host a Sakahatchee mission camp where students from around our state ask to come here, sleep on our floors, and serve our community. We have facilities that allow us to gather with 250 children in our community every year for vacation Bible school. Our facilities allow us to host blood drives that then give life to over 100 people in our community because of the work we're able to do here to support the blood drive. And these are just a few of the ways that God has leveraged the resources of grace for his kingdom and for his children. These are a few of the ways that God has leveraged grace for future generations. And see, as the body of Christ, we are the witness and the action of Christ in our community today. And so this means that as the body of Christ, we carry the joy, we carry the peace, and we carry the hope of Christ. And we carry it not just for today, but for future generations And so how do we steward this? How do we carry this joy and this peace and this hope of Christ? How do we carry this and steward it not just for today, but with the future in mind? Because whether you realize it or not, you're sitting here today. You were previous years when somebody thought about future, you came to mind. And so as the church, how how do we think about future generations? 
But also, how can we think about future generations when for most of us today, it feels like we're sort of trapped in the wilderness. We're just trying to make it from day to day, right? Trying to pay that next bill, trying to just get me to that next doctor visit, just get me in the hospital, just get me out of the hospital, just get me to my therapy, get me out of my therapy. How do we move forward when it seems like the trees in front of us just kind of get thicker and thicker? Well, fortunately for us, this is not unique to us. Because when we open up the pages of Scripture, we see a similar situation confronting the people of Israel in the days of Moses. And this story plays out in the first five books of the Bible. Sorry, I hit the wrong thing here. Technology, what are you going to do with it, right? You see, the Israelites, they were a people group who were down to nothing. Moses has come. Moses has orchestrated their freedom from slavery in Egypt. But now they have spent 40 years in the wilderness trying to get something that has been described to them as the promised land. We go four days without a blessing. And we think God is done with us. Could you imagine going 40 years? But they're not so different from us. See, their lack of discipline turned 40 days into 40 years. And our lack of discipline has turned the hope of the gospel into a fear of scarcity. And the trajectory of this story that we're going to see today, it begins with Genesis through Numbers. And as you read the story of Moses and the Exodus and then of the Israelites spending 40 years in the wilderness, you're reading it and you're thinking, okay, come on, God. At some point, the good guy's got to win, right? Come on, God. At some point, this movement has to go from promise to fulfillment. I mean, come on, God. Well, in our story, Deuteronomy comes in with this massive interruption. It's as if the story is moving. They left. The exodus happened. They're in the wilderness. You know they're on the edge of the promised land. They're ready to go in. And so we open up Deuteronomy and we're like, all right, we're going to hear trumpets now. The good guys are going to win. But we open Deuteronomy and "Ah!" there was a massive interruption. And the future the Israelites thought was coming was put on pause. And so now the story has very little forward movement. And so Moses' final acts as the Lord's appointed servant for dealing with Israel is to cast vision for how Israel needs to prepare to change if they hope to move from the wilderness into this new life God is promising them. And today, the words of Moses, they echo. And we still hear the reverberations of that echo today. And maybe it's time for us to look around, take stock, and think about Are we doing our part to prepare a future of hope and of joy and of peace? So it's at this point now that we're going to pick up the Israelite story in Deuteronomy. And this is in your your pew Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I invite you to follow along. And it begins with verse 1. 
Now this is the commandment that statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God, in other words, he's saying to Israel, hey, this is the, what the Lord your God, not the God down the street, not the false idol you're worshiping, the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you were about to cross into and occupy. So Moses is saying, before you get the keys to your new life, I got to tell you one more thing. And it's important because what I'm about to tell you is going to shape you for this new opportunity coming your way. This is the commandment that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land you are about to cross into. And then verse 2, so that, I love that phrase, purpose statement. This is why we're doing this. So that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you so that your days, your life may be long. In other words, if you want your children and the generations to follow, to stay in love with your God, listen up and take this to heart. Okay, so are you with me? This is getting really important. Moses is building this tension. So he says in verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe these diligently, so that it may go well with you. All right, I'm, I'm listening now, God, because who, who doesn't want it to go well with him, right? I'm listening. And so that, there it is again, you may multiply greatly. You may grow in a land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, when you see it in a land flowing with milk and honey, that was, in, in this context, that was how they, ref, that was how they uh, referred to Canaan. As the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. God made you a promise. But Israel, you could have had all these blessings 40 years earlier. Because when you go back in Numbers and read in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Numbers explains how these people missed their chance 40 years earlier. But in God's grace, they have another opportunity. I tell you what, as I look at, at life here in the church and life in North Augusta, I sure would hate for us to miss our chance. I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm not real patient to wait 40 more years. I don't want us to miss our chance to be faithful and fruitful. I don't want us to miss our chance to be a part of God's story of redemption, God's story of love and grace in North Augusta, in South Carolina. And Moses says, I am about to share with you some important commandments from God that will frame your new life. And if you want things to go well, you will follow and listen to what God has put on my heart. So Moses is trying to build this tension. He's trying to get people to lean in and go, give it to us, Moses, come on. So Moses says, okay, you've seen the worst of what life can offer. Now it's time for you to see something new. So in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Again, what I'm telling you is coming from God. This is kind of a big deal, y'all. So listen up is what Moses is saying. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
This is where you want to look at your bulletin now. And if there's a pencil in front of you, I hope to goodness it's sharpened. What does with all my heart look like? What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart? Well, when God tells us or puts something on our heart, this doesn't mean heart like we may think about it in contemporary culture. If you go to Proverbs 4, verse 23, we read, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the reason why we talk about guarding your heart and being pure in heart, the reason why we teach our high school students about purity in heart is that while we view the heart as the seat of our emotions and our will, Israel understood the heart to be the center of the whole person, not just the source of emotions, not just this thing we see on Valentine's Day, but also the source of wisdom and perspective. From the heart flows who you are. So in essence, the heart refers to who you are as a person or your character. So when you think of love the Lord your God with all your heart, love him with your character. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your soul? Well, the soul is the life principle. If heart is who you are, the soul is what you do. And then what does it look like with all my might? Well, might is is how you do it. And in that culture, that's what it means. When it says love the Lord your God with all your might... That means love the Lord your God in the way you work, in the way you use your hands, in the way you serve people. And so if we were to maybe say this today, it might sound like this. Love the Lord your God with all of your character, with all of your life, and with all of your service. Then Moses continues in verse 6. Keep these words that I am commanding you today. In your heart. This is no longer about information. This is about transformation. Because if if Moses wanted this to simply be more information, he would say, keep it in your head. But he says, put it on your heart. And to put it on your heart means it's much bigger than just knowing something. I want it in your heart. And I want you to then, in verse 7, I want you to recite it to your children and talk about them when you were at home and when you were away, when you lie down and when you rise. I want you to bind them as a sign on your head, fix them as an emblem on your forehand, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I want this to be a big deal. And when people look at you as my followers, I want them to look at you and say, those people love God. There is no question about it. See, the Hebrew people were extremely successful at making religion an integral part of their life. And the reason for their success was that religious education was life-oriented, not information-oriented. And yeah, they knew, you know, they knew these things and they were living them out, but it was much more important for them that it was practical. So what we do now, it's going to echo into the future. That's what Moses is telling the Israelites. You're about to step into something new and something big. I want to make sure you're ready for this. So are are you prepared for God to work through you? 
Because like the generations before us, we are the stewards of the church for our generation. And we are also the stewards of the church for future generations. More daunting than that is the fact that we determine what is going to come to mind when future generations think about the church. The church I raised my daughter in, that's what her idea is going to be of church. The church that you are in, that you raised your children in, that you raised your grandchildren in, that is going to be their idea of church. Are you prepared to give them an idea and a concept of church that is faithful to what God has given you? So like those who walked and led you to this point, the burden of stewarding the church now sits with you and with me. And we can run from it or we can lean in. We can embrace our role in this amazing story that God has invited us to be a part of. And, and so instead of praying that, that God be a part of what I'm doing, let's move ahead of that to God. Let me be a part of what you are already doing. Because believe me, God is already doing and so could you, can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen in our state, in our city, if we get this right? Can you imagine what hangs in the balance if we get this right? Can you imagine what, who hangs in the balance of you saying yes to what God has called you into? Can you imagine that? And as the church, we are stewards today of God's message of hope, of joy, and of peace. Scripture testifies to this. God promises this. Jesus died for this. We are alive in Christ because of this. So are you prepared? Can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might? Because God is doing something new. And on May 17th, we're going to walk into this together. We're going to be excited about this. We are going to steward this for the next generation. And we're going to start approaching worship with, with the people in mind who are here but also the people of mine who are not here, who we are going to begin expecting to be here because we are all going to lean into this together. Because God went first. God has promised us a life of hope, a life of peace, and a life of joy. Are we ready? And if you think, if you think I just challenged you, I did. I did. I did.